Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Before I continue with today's segment, I want to take a minute to say thank you to everybody listening. I see that you're listening in South Africa, in Australia, and Canada, in Italy, the United Kingdom, in Sweden, in Iceland, as well as here in the United States. And I'm so glad that you find something here in this podcast that you find worth your time to listen to. So I thank you very much. And now let's continue with Theodore Pratt's The Money, Segment 11. Joey was at the clubhouse at 8.30 the next morning. Henny arrived at 8.40. Gracie soon after, and Paul at not quite ten minutes of nine. They debated about unlocking and going in, having more than a quorum, but finally decided to wait for George. He came at the regular time of nine, and when he saw them, he stormed more than the previous night. "'You're doing things all wrong. You've got to keep to the same routine. Don't change things in any way. Then people won't notice.' This morning, Paul was more conciliatory towards him and did not fight him. "'He's right,' he told the others. "'That's what we should do.' In retribution, they made no question of it being George, their wise president and efficient leader, unlocking the door and letting them in, though each had brought his own key in his pocket. Henny was bubbling with something he wanted to say. "'I got an idea,' he announced. "'A great idea!' "'Hold it,' George ordered. "'Gracie, you light the candle. Joey, you close the door, and Paul, you dig.' George lifted his chair, and Paul dug at the spot. It was not difficult to lift out the soft earth so recently turned over. They all watched and were relieved when the box appeared. "'Take it easy,' George advised. "'Don't disturb the seals.' He hunkered down and lifted out the box. He shook off loose dirt on it and then exhibited it for all to see so they could examine the seals both front and back. They appeared to be the same as yesterday.' George put the box on his chair and remained standing while the other sat. He addressed Henny. All right, what's your idea? Eagerly, Henny said, if there's something we need more than anything else that we haven't got at the clubhouse, it's TV. Their eyes brightened as they caught Henny's idea before he mentioned action on it. He pointed at the box. Well, we can get it. George nodded. I was thinking the same thing. Paul said, not having juice, we'd have to get a portable battery kind. If we do it, asked Gracie, won't somebody find out? Not if we do it right, said George. It's a little soon to spend as much as it'll take, but it'll probably be all right. We can't order one and have it sent here or it'll be seen. We've got to go get it ourselves. No slightest question was made of this point. Let's go, said Joey. Now, wait a minute said George. Another thing is that we'd better not get it at a TV store right around here. Sure not one that our folks have bought one from or had the repairmen come. We won't want anybody to know us, so we'll go to a department store down in the city. Joey objected. They're a long way away. By this he meant that when they went into the city, instead of spending 15 cents each way on bus fare, they walked. What if it is? asked George. It's worth it. It sure is, said Henny. There's a crime series every afternoon at three o'clock. They won't let me watch. Boy, we can have it here. There's one at 1130 every morning, 
Gracie said. My mother won't let me watch because she says it's too old for me. It's about what they call wayward girls and what they do. One had a baby when she wasn't married. There's a sports car one at five, said Paul, right when my mother's favorite program is on that I can hardly ever see. All right, said George. I'll break the seals. As he kneeled in regulation praying position before the money box and broke the seals, Henny asked what kind of a set they should get. We want a good one, said Joey. We don't need to get the cheapest, Gracie agreed. It isn't as if we don't have the money, said Henny. No reason not to get the best, Paul held. The very best, George agreed. As he said this, George lifted the top of the box. Their gaze went to it as though half expecting the money would not be there. It still was. I'm not sure exactly how much we'll need, George went on, except I saw an advertisement showing a new kind of battery portable that looked pretty good and cost about $200 complete. They're the kind used on hunting trips or places where you go away from electricity, like on boats, too. We'd better get some extra batteries. I saw that ad, too. Said Paul, and it's the best kind. Only they aren't batteries, but things called battery packs. They're stronger and last longer than regular batteries. They cost quite a bit. Supposing we take, let's see, George plucked a figure out of thin air, maybe three hundred and fifty dollars. Gracie proposed, we'd better take out our seventy five cents first. George studied the money, including the sixty-two cents in coins that rested on top of one of the packets. We can't do it. There isn't enough change. We'll do it when we get the TV. He undid the band on one packet and removed seven fifty-dollar bills. He rolled these and put them carefully in a side pocket of his trousers, being sure the roll got to the very bottom and would not fall out. Gracie got out her book and subtracted the amount from their total, which left a residue of $209,641.62. The money box was tied up again and more seals put on and shown to everybody and then buried. The candle was extinguished and they went out and snapped the padlock. It was over two miles through the city to the large department store they selected, but none of them complained. They walked briskly and felt no fatigue because they carried with them the thought of the holy grail they sought. At the department store, they made straight for the escalator to the second floor where the TV and radio departments were and rode up as though up to heaven. As they got off and formed a group on solid ground, George advised, now let me do the talking. He led them over to the section they wanted. Here, several dozen TV sets were turned on, sometimes as many as six to the same channel. There was a nice cacophony of sound, and the sights were good, too. George searched for a moment, then found what he wanted. The stand where, the, the stand where several battery-operated portables were to be seen. The largest of these, a black one, was turned on. It had a single rabbit ear now raised. That's it, George hissed. That's the one I meant. It's bigger than I thought, said Henny, with fervent admiration. Nine inch, said Paul. The dimension might be a world's record. It's a sharp picture, Gracie breathed. Joey, his round blue eye shining, had only one word. Cool. 
George picked up the price tag on it in red letters, and though they could all see it, he read it off. One hundred and eighty-nine dollars and ninety cents complete, like I said. That's cheaper than I thought. What does it mean, complete? asked Henny. It means, a voice behind them said, complete with one battery pack. They started guiltily. A young salesman stood there. He now took up a black leather case that had a wire attached to the portable TV and explained, This contains the battery pack, which alone costs $29.95. This complete set is the very latest thing to be taken on camping trips or used on a boat. Complete also means that a recharging unit for the battery pack goes with it. You just plug it into any electric connection. The salesman then looked at them dubiously, as though his sales pitch might be wasted. While children could be taken along on camping or boat trips, they did not appear to be the principals on such trips who would be interested in his wares. George wanted to know, how, does a, how long does a battery pack last? The young salesman became somewhat evasive. That depends on how you play it. The children nodded as though being furnished with valuable information. It lasts for many hours, the salesman assured them. This sounded quite definite, reasonable, and a good recommendation. And then it is very simple to recharge. The five musketeers recognized that recharging for them might be a problem. They withdrew some feet from the salesman presence, salesman's presence and held a conference in whispers. How are we going to recharge it? Paul wanted to know. We can take the battery pack thing home and do it proposed Henny. I got that worked out, George told them. It'd be too risky for all of us to do that. It might be found out, especially Joey here. I could do it as good as... I'll be the only one to do it, and maybe then not all the time. So we've got to buy some extra packs, too, to use when we haven't got any recharged. They cost $29.95, reminded Gracie. We got to have them, and maybe they sell the pack without the case. They returned to the salesman, who had attended their conference from afar with a skeptical look on his face. George inquired about buying battery packs without the case, and the salesman replied, Extra ones are only $15.50. George thought and inquired, How much would seven come to? Seven? The salesman looked startled. Did you say seven? Seven. George didn't know why he had hit upon this figure, but it had to be some number. The salesman took a pad and pencil from his pocket and figured. It would be $108.50. How much would that be with the set complete? The clerk looked them over with deeper skepticism, but he figured it, saying as he jotted down the numbers, There's tax, too. It comes to $302.82. We'll take it. The clerk looked at them warily. "'We got the money,' said George. "'You have?' "'To prove it, George pulled out the money and exhibited it. "'The clerk's eyes now bugged. "'You'll pay cash? "'And we'll take it with us.' "'The clerk's confusion concentrated itself on the cash part of the transaction "'as though he did not want to face any other. "'But people, especially like you, don't do that.' "'He spoke as though they were committing a sin.' I mean, they've got credit accounts and pay so much a month the regular way. We'll pay cash. Ha! Um, oh, all right. The clerk now tried facing up to the other part of the situation. 
Are you sure? That is, he studied them, especially the money in George's hands. Then he acted as if he didn't want to question them further, for fear of losing the sale and his commission. I guess it's all right. He took out his order book and began to write in it. Who shall I make the sale slip out to? George looked blank. Gracie stepped in. You don't need to make it out to anybody. But you don't have to do it, do you? she asked. Well, no, not actually, but just say it's paid for. That's enough, Gracie instructed. The clerk's eyes glazed slightly before they went to his pad again. He wrote some more, tore off some sheets, and handed one to George. George gave him the seven fifty-dollar bills. The clerk counted them and then went away, and in a moment came back with change. This and the sales slip were handed to George. When their goods were wrapped up, they requested that they be made into five packages, which was done. As the clerk worked at this, he asked only one more question, for the answer he received did not encourage more. "'You're going on quite an extended camping trip.' "'All summer,' said George. They picked up their packages, with George carrying the actual set, and left the store, watched carefully by the clerk. On the way down on the escalator, with their group gathered closely together on the moving steps and out of earshot of other riders, George, with excitement in his voice, told them, "'I never spent three hundred and two dollars and eighty-two cents before.' The others didn't say anything, and did not need to, for each felt as if they had also spent the same amount. The portable set weighed thirteen pounds, but George failed to find it heavy at all on the way back to Buckingham Hills. Once, when they were stopped for traffic in front of a corner bank, Joey said with pride, "'I bet we got more money than they got in there.' "'No, we haven't,' said George. "'They've got millions,' Paul said. "'Anyway,' Gracie put in, I'll bet they'd like to have our money. They sure would, said Joey. Henny declared, we won't give it to them. We sure won't, George declared. Traffic started to move again, and they hurried to get back and turn on their TV. In the clubhouse, with the door closed and the candle lighted, they unwrapped the set and put it on one of the chairs placed on one end against the wall. They could barely wait to turn it on, but Gracie insisted on having the box dug up and the account set straight before this was done. George put the $47.18 in change he had received into the box. The 18 cents, with the 62 cents already there, made it possible to pay back the 75 cents loan of yesterday to the proper lenders, and this Gracie did. She got out her book and deducted the 75 cents and added the $47.18, now bringing their total up to $209,688.05. Six, she wasn't sure this was the right way to figure it, but it made it seem as if they had made money this morning. She was about to put her notebook back under her chair when it occurred to her that, in the bookkeeping, the 75 cents had been deducted yesterday. At least she believed it had. This meant the 75 cents had to be put back in the figuring, or so she thought. Anyway, it made their resources now amount to $209,688.80. That was even better, but it was pretty intricate keeping track, an awful lot of work to figure it. 
The boys had been rearranging their furniture to make the clubhouse look a little like a theater, with George's chair slightly in front of the others. Joey had been Joey's had been taken for the TV stand, so he sat on the ground, but he didn't mind. The rabbit ear was pulled up, and they were ready to start when something else occurred to Gracie. She cried, "What dopes? Who?" asked George. "Us." "'walking all the way downtown "'because we didn't want to spend our own money "'on the bus the way we always do. "'Or don't.' "'Henny began to question. "'Walking?' "'Paul got it before the others. "'She means we walked when we could have "'bought the bus or a whole lot of buses. "'The realization hit them like a blow. "'They laughed, convulsed, "'accepting it as a great joke on themselves.' They realized they would have to get accustomed to being rich and to the ways of the wealthy. Henny had his fingers on the turn-on switch of their very own TV. Now? he asked. George gave the signal. Now? Henny turned it on and moved back to his chair. The set warmed up quickly, and from it came a blast. Henny jumped forward and controlled it as George cautioned. Keep it low! We got to keep it low always so nobody'll hear it and never forget. Henny twirled the dial, seeing what was on all channels. They gave chirps of pleasure and sat entranced, drinking it all in avidly, settling, settling upon a western. Henny returned to his chair, and they watched and listened, not noticing that the money box, which had been placed on the ground, was not sealed or put away, but no one was touching it. End of segment 11. Thank you for listening.